All right. I just want to do a quick introduction. So I just finished up my interview, and I want you guys to check this one out. This one was a big deal to me. I, um, I've watched a lot of his videos for a long time um, in regards to gaming as I'm a gamer. And he brought an interesting aspect to the gaming industry that I thought was completely different. We talk a little bit about that in this interview. Um, so I basically want to – let me turn on my display, and you can take a look. So – I interviewed none other than the Mighty Jingles, and he is someone that I think everyone should kind of check his channel out. Watch the interview. He is really who he is. Um, there's no different. What you see on his YouTube is and no different than what he is in actually meeting him. And it was actually an honor for me to be able to interview him. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, I want to thank him again if he's, if he's watched this. And this is the type of stuff that with, you know, you guys by allowing me, uh, bringing me subscribers and subscribing to the channel and watching the channel and things like that, you give me an opportunity to be able to go out and interview these people um, in my own way and, and kind of bring that out in, in me. And so I do want to thank everybody for subscribing to the channel and being a part of that. And if you haven't subscribed, please do, because... This is the type of interviews that I want to be able to go out and, and find people and have conversations with them and, and just kind of meet them and, and hear what makes them who they are. And this is one of those interviews. So I want to thank everybody for subscribing and, and the views and likes and stuff uh, for allowing me to, to actually go out, reach out, and be able to interview someone that I've watched for a long time. That being said, check it out. You're now listening to Sage. On Sage News Live. All right. All right. We are here with an interesting interview, one that I was actually shocked I got. I reached out, had nothing to lose, and he responded back. But if you don't know, this is the man, the myth, the legend, the one and the only Mighty Jingles. How's it going, Jingles? Not too bad, Sage. Thanks for having me along. Yeah. Uh, thanks for I haven't done one of these interview things in a long time, so you're the first in, oh, I don't know, two years? Yeah, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I just kind of reached out, and um, I've been watching your uh, your videos for like the longest time, um, and it was just something that once I got up to the channel, I just said, you know what, I'm going to reach out and see what he says, and boom, you responded back, and I was like, let's do it. So uh, I'm I'm really glad you did. So I just kind of want to talk about like kind of how you got where you are now, and and where you're kind of looking to to go with it, you know, down the road. So a lot of people may or may not know you from my channel, but you actually do a gaming channel. Um, you base it on video games and stuff like that, but you bring a unique aspect to it, which I thought was brilliant um, because you do a lot with uh, Navy and, and tanks and the military, but you brought that historical informational view, not just about how to play the game or most other gamers were saying, well, here's how you do this and here's how you do this. You actually brought that here's why they use this tank during world war one during world war two type you know and things like that so and you were actually in the navy now was that something as a kid you wanted to grow up and be in in the military i, I always did want to be in the military uh but the navy because i've have uh let's see i have a cousin in the pioneers my father was the in the parachute uh, the parachute regiment uh i've got two uncles who are both in the army service corps um, another cousin who's in the infantry. So a lot of the family were in the army. Mm -hmm. And I have an uncle who was in the Royal Air Force. But I'm the, as far as I'm aware, I'm the first person in the family ever to join the Navy. And I kind of got into it, you could almost say by accident, <laughs> um, because 
you know, as a teenager, I was an arsehole. I was having problems with my parents. I just wanted to get away from home. So the local newspaper up in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, where I'm from, in the northeast of England, Evening Chronicle, was running advertisements specifically for Royal Navy radio operators. So I didn't stop to think at the time, because I was young and stupid, why are they so desperate for radio operators? What's so bad about being a Navy radio operator that they're, they're having to recruit people because everybody's quitting? Right. Um, and because they were desperately short-staffed for radio operators, I only had to, I mean, you're looking at a six-month waiting period to get into most other branches within the Navy at the time, but it was like weeks later, I was like, yeah, fine, pass the entrance exam, pass the interview. Weeks later, I was on a train down to HMS Rally in Plymouth um, to do the training. And so I got in really, really fast, and it got me away from home, and it massively improved my relationship with my parents, just getting out, just getting away from each other for a while. Um, but it turned out I was not a very good radio operator. <laughs> what, what, was, like, what made it so hard for people, that people wanted to leave? Or not hard, but just or people wanted to leave, let's say. Um, I think it was a combination, and I don't know what it's like now because I haven't done the job since 1995 when I changed branches, but it was, you were part of the operations department, which is like the warfare department, the guys who operate the radar systems, the sensors, the sonar, the weapons, and so on and so on, and communications. But while you were technically part of that department, you were sort of your own little thing off to the side of that department. Until that department decided they needed some bodies to do some shitty jobs, in which case they suddenly remembered, oh, yeah, the radio operators. <laughs> right. And of course, you're a watchkeeper because you have to man the radio broadcast, getting you know signals in from the UK 24 hours a day. So you were constantly operating in shifts. And perfect example, first Gulf War, we were in Bahrain shortly before the actual ground war kicked off. Um, over Christmas and New Year, and because the new ship was about to hit the fan, they granted what they call station leave to everybody on board the ship. We were there for 10 days, and everybody was allowed to take four days station leave and get off the ship mm -hmm. in order to decompress and get ready for what was about to happen. Everybody except the radio operators who were still working shifts alongside in Bahrain, never mind at sea, right. and were not because... In the build-up to the war, there was a lot of very important signal traffic coming in 24 hours a day. So we had to, it was just, for some reason, the radio operators always seemed to just get the shitty end of the stick. Um, so, I, and I wasn't very good at it either. Right. Because it wasn't just, you know, um, <clears throat> there were two different types of radio operator in the Royal Navy. Mm -hmm. uh, radio operator general and radio operator tactical. I was a, an ROG, the general radio operator. So I did the actual radios the VHF, the UHF, the HF radio equipment, and so on and so on. The tactical radio operators were the guys that worked on the bridge. Uh, they manned the uh, the short-range voice communications and all of the visual communications, mm -hmm. signal flags, <clears throat> flashing lights, and all that sort of thing. But I was one of the last people that went through training at HMS Mercury, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, which was the communications training school, who, who was a specific either general or tactical radio operator. They decided they could get much more bang for their buck by making all radio operators do everything. So I trained as a general radio operator, but once I got to see, I was expected to do the tactical radio operator's job, which I hadn't been. I mean, I'd received some cursory training, in, but it was um, it was just hard work. Right. And I'm not I'm not a big fan of hard work. <laughs> so I thought 
after five years of that, this writer branch looks pretty good because the guys in the ship's office, they they work eight till four. Mm. And, and they don't have an upper deck part of ship that has to be maintained and chipped and cleaned and painted and de-rusted and all that sort of stuff. And they seem to be able to, you know, they have every night off. I'll have some of that. <laughs> so <laughs> best decision I ever made. And I was pretty good at it as well. Well, I mean, uh, so, is that something you did you do a lot of like writing and stuff? Is that something that you also like doing before you went in, like in school and stuff? Um, yeah, English language was one of my best subjects. English language, history, and geography were always my best subjects. Um, but as a writer, it wasn't you know you, you're not sitting there writing a novel. Right. Um, it, having the radio operator training did actually help because as a radio operator, you have to be able to operate a teletype, mm-hmm. which is basically typing, and you have to be able to do sixty words a minute. Um, in some cases, listening to Morse code coming in and transcribing it at 30 words a minute, but you have to be able to type a signal up uh, to be transmitted over the teletype at 60 words a minute. And as a writer, you have to be able to type. So that really helped with the writer training. Um, but it's mostly rules, regulations, mm-hmm. um, interpretation of pay regulations, making sure everybody on board is, is getting paid what they should be getting paid, making sure everybody's leave entitlements are, are, are used. Um, it's just a lot of administration work, um, which I turned out to be ideally suited for. I was actually pretty good at it until my last couple of years in the Navy when they decided they were going to computerize everything. Mm. And they picked the worst possible <laughs> system. Um, see, each service, the Navy, the Army, and the Air Force, had their own computerized administration system. But there was like the Navy's was called PAS, the Personnel Administration System. The Army had their own system. The Air Force had their own system. Right. It worked fine for the Army, and it worked fine for the Air Force. And ours worked fine for us because we all had different pay regulations. Okay. So there, was, there was no joint service thing. A lot of the regulations were similar, but there were peculiarities to each service. But then the guys in charge decided that they wanted one joint system for all three services but in order to make that one joint system work for all three services it was a case of changing the regulations to fit the software (laughs) rather than designing software to fit the regulations and even then the software was awful it was so bad (laughs) nobody knew how to use it it was based on oracle Um, oh god yeah and it was sort of this jury-rigged kludge together Bit bailing wire, make it work system to fit all three services that didn't fit any of them, and was just ugh. so that was coming in as I was getting out after 22 years, and phew, not a day too soon. It was an awful system. Yeah, because you because we talked a little bit, and I said I was Coast Guard, but you also did um, you did other stuff. You're like you were, I don't know what it's called, but we have like boarding be boarding officer. I was a boarding officer, but yep. there's also BPMs. The boarding team members. You yep. all were a part. Were you a boarding team member or? Yeah, yeah. When I was a radio operator, um, Klansman radio on my back. Um, you, you'd wear an assault troop life jacket mm-hmm. uh, because you do helicopter insertions, and uh, you'd fly over the the vessel of interest. You'd toss a rope over the side. You'd slide down the rope, and if you've got a Klansman radio on your back, even if you're wearing an assault troop life, and bearing in mind, uh, assault troop life jackets were designed for the Royal Marines, so. Right. It could take the weight of a guy with a Klansman and a rifle, but because, you know, a, a Marine with a 50-pound pack on his back, his rifle, all of his webbing, all of his ammunition, it, it'll keep him afloat if he goes in the water. Right. But they thought, just to be on the safe side, 
Uh, we won't give you a rifle because you've got a big-ass radio on your back. We'll give you a Browning high-power 9mm pistol instead. So I had that in my belt. And um, we had to do what they call the dunker training, um, mm -hmm. which is there's probably a proper official term for it, but everybody calls it the dunker, where they've got this big old swimming pool mm -hmm. and a mock-up of a Lynx helicopter. And mm -hmm. you all get in it, and they drop it into the water. Right. And then you have to train to get out. So the first time they do it, they just drop it into the water, and then you wait for all violent motion to cease, mm -hmm. and you have to hold your breath and wait your turn because you don't want everybody panicking and trying to get out at the same time. It's the whole purpose right. of the training. So you learn how long you can hold your breath and uh, and get out safely. And um, then they drop it and flip it over. Mm. And shake it around a bit. <laughs> so you're now hanging from the ceiling, inverted, with it rolling around. You still have to wait for all violent motion to cease because those rotor blades could still be going and might do you an right. injury if you try to get out early. And and then out you go. And then and if anybody panics, they make you do the whole thing again. Oh and wow. then and then they do it again, this time with the lights out. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> so I did that once. And once you've done it, you're certified for, I think, two years. So you can be a boarding team member mm -hmm. for two years after that. And I never did that shit again. <laughs> I was like, you've got yeah. me for two years. I don't mind being in the boarding team. Um, I quite enjoyed it because, you know, it's just it's, it's better than sitting in the office right. typing up reports all day. But there is no way I am doing that again. I, I, no, not going to happen. Yeah. Um, we didn't have to do that, just so you know. Um, we did, you know, of course, we did the, the shooting and and, tar and stuff like that. We did like training and uh, hand to hand. And they spray you in the face with OC, uh, and they then they try to get your gun. And if they get your gun while sp being sprayed in the face with OC, you have to do it again tomorrow. So yeah. <laughs> getting sprayed in the face with OC, you you wanted to make sure you protected your weapon. And then you had to draw down, but we never had to get dropped in the water because that might have changed my mind yes. uh, about being a boarding officer. <laughs> See, you, you could you could be in the boarding team without having done that helicopter escape training, but oh. you couldn't insert by a helicopter. You could insert by a boat, but in order to go in with the mm -hmm. helicopter, you had to be helicopter safety qualified. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, I did it once. I said, right, you've got me for the next two years, but after that, forget it. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Terrifying. So you go into the and then you you were you were actually underway. You didn't you you did a lot of uh, tours and uh, correct. Oh hell yeah. Um, it always amuses me because I did a lot of, um, I mean, as a radio operator, you tended to spend, like, for example, you get two and a half years drafted to a ship and then you'd get six months drafted ashore and you'd mostly be doing training mm -hmm. or, or working in a communication center and then straight back to sea again for two and a half years. It was the other way around as a writer because mm -hmm. there's a lot of administration in shore bases and there's only, I mean, a Type 42 destroyer, you'd have a chief or a petty officer. Um, one leading rate and two able ratings. So that's four writers, and one of them's a senior rate. So there's not a lot of writers, smallest department on board the ship, uh, but one of one of the most responsible. That's the thing I loved about it because you weren't just treated like, you know, there were 15 radio operators, there were 50 people in the warfare department, and you were just irks, right? There, there, there were so many of you. You weren't individually important, but as a writer, everybody on board the ship relied on you to be paid properly. Um, 
talk about do you need my do you need a cup of coffee do you need anything no. <laughs> that's what it was like i used to have a, there was a guy i was on board hms coventry with when i was a radio operator his name was uh dixie he was a gunner mm -hmm. and at the same time that i went to retrain as a writer he went to retrain as a chef and mm -hmm. we both ended up at hms nelson which is the shore base in her majesty's naval base in portsmouth it's uh, it's the barracks there in the naval base and over the road from hms nelson is the wardroom which is a beautiful old 18th century building where the officers mm -hmm. live and his first draft out of training as a chef was the wardroom galley and mm -hmm. my first draft as a writer was hms nelson unit personnel office so it was great you know we knew each other uh, we were good friends on board the coventry when he was a gunner and i was a radio operator and we were still good friends in fact we eventually ended up moving out and sharing a flat with him just so we could get out of hms nelson but um they call the branch that or the department that we were in consisted of four branches the writer branch the chef branch the stores accountant branch and the steward branch and we were known as the white mafia <laughs> <laughs> and the supply department was known as the white mafia because we wore you know instead of the working blue number eight uniform that everybody else wore because they got right. dirty we wore white Nice. the white shirts and stuff because we didn't get dirty which is one of the reasons why i wanted to be a writer nice easy life and they called us the white mafia because we were all in each other's pockets right we, we had a finger in every pie going because everybody needed the services that we provided so everybody everybody was very keen to keep us happy but like, never upset the chefs oh no they make your food right, right. yeah you never upset the writers because they do your pay and your allowances and your leave and your travel. Right. Um, and what Dixie would do is that every Friday, because um, he used to, he worked, in, uh, they called him the, one of the, uh, the, the pastry queen because he did the cakes and the desserts. <laughs> right. That was his first job over in the, the wardroom. And every Friday he would come over the road to HMS Nelson from the wardroom. And first he would stop at the main gate where the security staff worked and he would have a bunch of cakes that he would give to them. And then he would come over to the unit personnel office and he would never ask for anything. And he would just say hello, have a chat, bunch of pastries, donuts, all that sort of stuff, and hand them out to the guys on the front desk in the unit personnel office. And then he'd do the same thing in the stores office. Mm -hmm. And he would never ask for anything. And this is how it worked. Because the second he needed anything... <laughs> He didn't even have to ask. And that's that's just what it was like. Every, we all looked after each other. Right. Um, great, great department to be in. Um, I've forgotten where the question was going. <laughs> I'll do this as you get older. <laughs> what were we talking about? We're both that way. No, basically we talked about that. I mentioned that, you know, do you need a cup of coffee? Because you were such yeah. a small uh, staff, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, people would constantly, because people knew what they were entitled to. or. or a lot of people didn't know what they were entitled to. Right. It was our job to ensure that they got what they were entitled to. But the people that did know what they were entitled to and they knew what they weren't entitled to could sometimes still get what they weren't entitled to <laughs> if they brought us some biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> some, some cookies. Yeah. Over to your desk. Yeah. And, and so, and this is something that, so then you, you did 20 years, 22 years? 22, yeah. You did 22 years in. And now, were you a gamer? Were you a, a before, as a yeah. kid, I mean, was that pretty much what you did? Yeah. Um, I, I always had a computer on board, uh, which was difficult because we're talking, you know, the 90s. I joined in 1989. So from 1989 up to 2011, when I retired, I, I always 
had a computer on board. At first, it was a Commodore Amiga, but you needed a television to display right. that on. And we're talking cathode ray tube TVs here, not flat screen monitors or anything. Um, and as a radio operator, I couldn't set this up in the communications office because it was the communications office. You know, it's a classified compartment. Um, so I always, even as a radio operator, I, I had to get friendly with people who had compartments that didn't get a lot of traffic and I could set up my TV and my computer and, you know, when I'm not working, I could play in there. Right. Um, so I got into the habit of getting getting in with uh, senior ratings in other departments like the chief stoker and chief weapon engineer and so on and so on who had mm -hmm. like radio compartments full of, you know, equipment that was always on. Uh, there was spare power, there was a workbench in there, but nobody was in there 24 hours a day. It was just the duty weapon engineer might come around twice a day to do rounds and make sure that the office wasn't you know, in flames and all the equipment was still working. Um, when I was on board HMS Coventry, um, I, I was using the chief stoker's office mm -hmm. as a chief marine engineer um, who was very rarely actually in his office, even during working days, but he would do logistics reports and stuff in there. And hmm, I've got a computer you could use for that. <laughs> <laughs> do you? That's fantastic. So my lads can come in there and do the logistics reports. Yeah, no problem. I'll even show them how to do it. I've got a word processor and a printer and everything. <laughs> so I basically got used to the chief stoker's office as my own private gaming room. So it was, and, and, you know, it came in useful as well. I mean, when I was a writer, I on board HMS Newcastle, I did a year as the tech office writer, mm -hmm. um, which is providing administrative services for the marine engineering and weapon engineering departments in the combined technical office. And it's a one-man show. It was you, uh, the charge chief, marine engineer, and usually the deputy marine engineer and officer are the only ones in there during the day. Mm -hmm. But other people are in and out all the time consulting the technical manuals and using the photocopier, and you're responsible for keeping the entire place. Now, it's a very, like I say, as a writer, there's so few of you on board that you do have very responsible jobs. Right. And, and you know, you're the most junior rank on board. You're just an able seaman. Mm -hmm. But you're responsible for managing the administration of the entire weapon and marine engineering departments. So there's a lot of responsibility. And I kind of thrived on that um, without having anybody standing over me saying, you need to do this. You need I mean, I was still I was still subject to checks right. and controls. Um, but what tended to happen was once you'd, once you'd proven that you didn't need to be watched, you weren't watched. And as long as nobody was complaining about stuff that wasn't being done, you got left alone to do and you were basically your own boss so it was fantastic and I, that's the thing i love the most about being a writer because you just had so much more responsibility you would be going around often chasing up chief petty officers um lieutenant commanders for stuff that needed doing by a certain date and they just uh, it's a pain in the ass i don't want to do it sir it needs to be done have it on my desk by tomorrow lunchtime <laughs> you know <laughs> and if he's got a problem you complain to the supply officer, and he, you know, shoves a rocket up his arm. But you know, right. it's all about people management and knowing mm -hmm. how to get what you need from people without being a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. um, so I did learn a lot of very useful stuff in my time, and um, and of course, you you know, you travel the whole world and you get paid to go to all of these places that people pay thousands of pounds and dollars to go to visit on their own time. Right. Um, and you know, I mean, I've been all over the place. But the only place I didn't actually visit with the Navy was, well, the only place of note that I didn't actually visit with the Navy was the USA. I got as close as Puerto Rico, but every time I've been to the USA, it was on my own dollar. Right, right. No, yeah. Although, 
Although I, I came really close on one occasion. There were a couple of times I, where, you know, there's a big trip coming up, then you get drafted off the ship. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> like, we're going to Russia, and you're due to go ashore in three months. Ah, bollocks. Or I joined a ship right after it had come back from a world tour where it had, it had basically gone right around the world. Australia, Vietnam, San Diego, Panama, the Caribbean. <laughs> right. And then when it came back, I'm there on the jet waiting <laughs> to join it in rainy Portsmouth. Fantastic. And what's it got for the next six months? A refit. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so you don't always get there. But it, it always used to amuse me. I remember what the original question was now. Okay. When people in the Air Force, because I did a lot of joint jobs as well in places mm -hmm. like uh, the Falkland Islands, where I, I was there three times. Loved it, by the way. Um, in particular, because down the Falkland Islands, it's basically Royal Air Force Mount Pleasant. So it's mostly an Air Force base. And there are about 2,000 personnel in the garrison, 1,500 Air Force, mm -hmm. um, about 500 Army. Uh, there's a resident infantry company, and then you've got the Royal Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. You've got the Army Logistics Corps and blah, blah, and so on and so on. And then you've got about 50 Navy. And everybody wears like Army combats. Right. So the only thing that distinguishes you as the Navy is your rank badge on okay. your shoulder and your beret badge. But here's the thing. In the Army and the Royal Air Force, the higher up your arm your rank goes, the higher your rank. So one uh, stripe, uh, oh. two stripes, three stripes, three stripes and a crown. Anything up here gets saluted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and by rank badge was black it was a black epaulette with gold lettering on it so i've got gold on my shoulder <laughs> oh, oh, oh. after about a week i stopped telling everybody not to salute me <laughs> just returned the salute said thank you carry on because it was just easier that way wow yeah that would be confusing to me because i'd be like oh here here comes salute Oh, oh yeah. it, I, it's just to, to try to remember. It's easier just to salute and be wrong than not yeah. salute. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you were wrong. But, but I mean, my deployments would be like I was saying, even as a radio operator, two and a half years at sea, six months ashore, and that six months would probably be promotion training uh, or working in a communication center. And while we were down the Falklands, uh, because it was almost all Royal Air Force. And they would complain like you wouldn't believe because the army and the navy would get sent down there for six month rotations, and mm -hmm. the air force would get sent down there for four month rotations, maybe once every two years. Mm. And they would drip like septic arseholes about having to do four months away <laughs> in every two years. And then when they announced that they were going to extend it to six months, there was almost an open revolt. <laughs> and for me and like the army sergeant in the in the administration office in, in Mount Pleasant would just look at each other like Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> because the army and the navy have their differences. Right. We are united by a deep and abiding contempt for the Royal Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. The truth comes out here on Sage News Live. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I was down the Falklands, they had the Air Force had its 90th anniversary. Oh, cute. 
90 years, really. Surely nobody was alive that long ago. The Royal Navy's been around a 1,000 years, and there are regiments in the British Army that have been around 700 years. <laughs> 90 years. Thanks for that's joining. Cute. Yeah, thanks for showing up. <laughs> no, that that's it. So, all right, so now you, you, you get out, and where do you kind of go from there once you got out? Well, I started doing the YouTube thing before I got out. Oh, you my, did? Last, okay. my last couple of years, I was working at the Admiralty Interview Board at HMS Sultan in Gosport in Hampshire, um, which was a shore job, and it was a day job, so I was home every month. Um, and I, 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 I'd always been into gaming. Like I said, my first computer was a Commodore Amiga, and I managed to find a place for that. And then, of course, as a writer, I'm either working in the ship's office or the combined technical office, which is basically my own compartment. Mm -hmm. And I could set up my PC in those compartments because it's my damn compartment. I'll set it up in here if I want to. Right. And uh, and it was it was great. So I was gaming, you know, while I was in the Navy. And mm -hmm. then it, whenever I was shore-based after coming off a ship, I was home every night unless I was on duty. And I was – Star Wars Galaxies was the big game that I started playing. Okay. And then and then I moved on to World of Warships uh, – uh, World of Warcraft, sorry. Right. Um, and then World of Tanks came out, and I started playing that. And I was I was able to you know play in the last seven or eight years quite regularly. And I actually started the YouTube thing before leaving the Navy, although I wasn't you know making any money out of it because I only had a couple of hundred subscribers. Uh, but it 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 started very very. It's real hard at first. Yeah, um, but but once you have like a critical mass number of subscribers, it starts to tend to feed upon itself. Mm -hmm. The algorithm starts recommending you at the end of other videos that other people have watched on the same subject. And um, it was actually War Thunder that provided that critical impetus. You familiar with the game? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I had, I don't know, maybe twenty thousand subscribers just doing World of Tanks, and then War Thunder came out, and I mm -hmm. really got into War Thunder. Um, the aircraft side of things when uh, at that point they didn't have tanks in war thunder it was just right. an aircraft so it was kind of i mean i wasn't the only person covering war thunder content there were other people doing it but most of the people doing it didn't have twenty thousand subscribers who loved military vehicles from my world of tanks channel so i started being the first person that youtube would recommend to anybody doing a war thunder search so that kind of helped and then, of course, those people clearly into military vehicles thought, oh, this guy does tanks as well. So then they started watching the World of Tanks videos. And, and it just kind of fed off each other mm -hmm. and really started snowballing. And, it, and, and it, that, that is kind of where it all – and, of course, like you said, I could talk for days about the machines themselves rather than what was going on in the battle because – uh, that's what a lot of other people were doing. They were just doing like a like a football announcer play by play of what happens in the battle, and I could do that, but I wasn't as good as them at that because I wasn't as good as them at the game. Right. But what I did know was history. Right. And I had no fear of public speaking because of the various different jobs that I did as a writer. Um, for example, I spent two years at uh, Victory Building in HM Naval Base in Portsmouth, which was the Second Sea Lord's headquarters. And in that building, like, lieutenant commanders made the tea because there were so many commanders, captains, and admirals around. And as a very, very junior rating, I would have to give presentations to captains and admirals. So you very, very quickly lost any fear of public speaking. So I, I had no problem 
gobbing off into a microphone for hours on end. That was no problem. And I loved the history of the vehicles and stuff because I just loved history. History was one of my favorite subjects at school. Right. So I was doing stuff that other people weren't really doing. Yeah. Although I kind of started doing it. I, we talked briefly the other day, and there was a guy from Texas. Uh, a, I think he was a Korean-American who went by the name of Pandy. And I loved his World of Tanks videos because he would do that. He would talk about the tank rather than the battle the tank was playing mm -hmm. on the video. Um, but the problem was that Pandy only put a video up once a month or once every two months. And, and that was kind of the way it was back then. Mm -hmm. like nobody was putting a video up every day. Most people weren't even putting a video up every week. But I was putting a video up every day because I loved it. I loved doing it. Um, and that's that also really, really helps because if you wanted a World of Tanks video every day, I was the only show in town. So right. that really helped build up the subscribers as well. And the fact that people would often say, I mean, because I wasn't a bad World of Tanks player, um, right. but I certainly wasn't a super unicorn or anything. I was better than average, but that was as good as it got. So people would say, you watch somebody like Quickie Baby to learn how to be really, really good at World of Tanks, but you watch right. Jingles to be entertained. And that's fair, I suppose. <laughs> and, 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 and let me back up just a little bit. Like, what made you, what made you first get onto YouTube? Well, like, what made you say, hey, I, I want to go ahead and put it on this platform? Yeah. Um, there was, I mean, right now there's worldoftanksreplays.com, which is officially supported by Wargaming. But back then, it didn't exist. And they were other third-party websites where, that would host your replays. So if I had a really good game uh, and I wanted to save it, I could upload the replay to these third-party replay hosting sites. Mm -hmm. But they were third-party replay hosting sites, and they didn't stick around forever. And when they went down, as they all inevitably did, uh, due to lack of funding, because it's, it's, that's the problem. When you start off with free hosting... And you offer this service, and nobody uses it because nobody's heard of you. But then, as you get popular, suddenly the hosting isn't free anymore because right. you've got so many people uploading, and you can't afford the host, the, the paid hosting. So the whole thing goes under. And right. that's what happened to a lot of the places where I was uploading my replays. So I thought, well, this YouTube place, it's okay. It's not hosting a replay file, but I can do a video of the replay, and I can put that up, and that's not going anywhere. That's that's here to stay. Mm -hmm. And then people said, well, why don't you put commentary on these because they look like good battles? And I thought, well. Give it a try. So, and that's where it all started. The, the original thing was oh, there's a little cat complaint. Hello, Akazuki. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, the original idea was just as a as a video replay hosting service, and then it kind of just you know spiraled out of control from there. Yeah, and this is where, like I said, a lot of the the gamers that were putting you know stuff out there would say, okay, here's how you play the game. This is the upgrade you should get. You get this. You get that. But you gave, like I said, when I first started watching you, and I, I was probably looking for World of Tanks, how do I do this? And you, you know, your video popped up. It was completely different to me. It was something where I, I like the history also, but was was tanks and military history kind of what you liked the most? So did you know a lot of yeah. the history before? I, I I'd always been in the military history, even as um, even as a kid. I mean, when I was, I used to live in South Africa. Well, I used to live in South Africa. We emigrated there when I was 12, lived there for a year, then moved to Swaziland, but went to boarding school in South Africa until I was 16. And even then, I mean, there was a, I can't even remember what, there was some kind of English competition at the boarding school, and I won, and the prize was a gift voucher for the store in town that sold books. And I 
that I bought that this is just what I would do, a big old hardback book of military aircraft of the world mm -hmm. with scale drawings of and the technical details. And I just, I was obsessed with military equipment. Mm -hmm. um, so I would read all day on this kind of thing. And it, it turned out to be quite useful <laughs> many, yeah. many years later. And plus, it's a lot easier now to learn about this sort of stuff. Um, because at the time, you know, if you didn't have a book on the subject back then, then you that was it. But now you've got the internet. And, mm -hmm. you know, I constantly hear people saying, oh, they never taught me that when I was in school. Well, what kind of excuse is that? <laughs> you know, just Google. Google it. Right. It's, 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 there's no excuse for not knowing how to do something or not knowing right. about something these days. I mean, the, the problem these days is there's too much information and it's trying to figure out what's real and what isn't. Right. Uh, it's the opposite of the situation when I was coming up, where if you didn't, if, if you didn't know somebody who knew how to do it, who could show you, or you didn't have a book that showed you how to do it or told you about it, then you just, there was no way of finding out. Right. Now, there's no excuse for not knowing about anything. And I love yeah. history. I just, I love reading about this sort of stuff or even listening, you know, on Audible, um, which, again, I mean, I used to, <laughs> I think I mentioned this in Things with Jingles the other week, um, because you see everybody walking around with their face in their phone, completely mm -hmm. oblivious to the world around them. And I see people doing that, I'm like, oh, I'm millennials. But I used to do the same thing with books. <laughs> I used to walk along the road to work in the morning with a book, not paying attention to traffic because <laughs> I love reading. Um, and it is obviously incredibly dangerous, but now you can just fire up Audible on your phones and do exactly the same thing, and this time not die when you cross a road. Right. <laughs> so, not be hit by incoming traffic. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Exactly. And, and it's just like you said, it's, it's almost impossible to not learn something. I mean, you would have yeah. to force yourself to yeah. not learn something nowadays, right? Yeah, you'd have to be amazingly, willfully ignorant and not <laughs> learn stuff. Right. <laughs> in the 21st century yeah and, and that brings up so for me it was like it, it was a history lesson in regards to actually being able to see the tank that could yeah. normally you would pick a tank and now is that something that you basically said okay i'm going to play this tank let me pull this information or did you pretty much know a lot of that when you went to play the tank a lot of the time i knew the stuff or thought i knew the stuff um but usually it would be it would be driven by the gameplay so it'd have to be an interesting gameplay. And then I would say, okay, so this is a really good Tiger 2 battle. What do I know about the Tiger 2? And then what do I not know about the Tiger 2? Right. Let me go online and check mm -hmm. that I'm getting it right in order to be most of the time, because I am known for getting things wrong, <laughs> most of the time be able to give an accurate talk about the tank that you were watching. Yeah, because it, it and even then it went into um, now a lot of the stuff that you do. Originally, it was you playing the game and then going back and 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 putting voiceover. Now you get a lot of people sending you videos saying, "Check this out." Yeah, and it's honestly, I mean, it, that was originally it was like people would, oh, 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 I really love your videos. Can can you show this battle? And I was like, yeah, 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 I've got plenty of my own. Thank you. Right. Um, but that was when I had time to actually play the game. Um, and obviously, I'm in the Royal Navy. That's not always going to be the case. Right. Um, so I would feature somebody else's battle kind of as a favor to them. Mm -hmm. But then it very relatively quickly started to flip the other way around, mostly because I'm not that good a player. Um, better than average, but certainly 
I, you know, I can't pull off the kind of stuff that people like Orzanel, Quickie Baby, Circumflexes do without even thinking about it. Right. Um, and the stuff that I was getting sent, a lot of it was, yeah, okay, fine. You know, I can do that myself. Right. But a lot of it was, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so I was really lucky in that respect. I mean, I don't kid myself that I've earned where I'm at. I, I know that I was just right place, right time, very, very lucky to be in the situation that I'm in. And um, with, I mean, I've got like hundreds of thousands of people sending me their very, very best games. And it's what a position to be in. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can literally pick and choose the best stuff. And it doesn't have to be the best gameplay because it can be just as amusing watching people be complete and utter idiots because <laughs> 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 that's funny too right. <laughs> right. um so yeah i mean i've i've been incredibly lucky uh, but it took a long time to get this lucky you know i did have to put the work in yeah uh, but i don't pretend that it was all me uh, a lot of it was right place right time and having an amazing community yeah and i think it's also the fact it's like you said like Quickie babies and stuff, very tactically good with playing the game, but it's the entertainment value and and that uh, the the actual being able to watch and, and you're learning and you're entertained and your sense of humor and stuff like that that added to that. A new, like I said, to me it was it was different than just watching. Wow, holy crap, he's good. You know, or yeah. you're watching games and you're trying to see like, okay, he did that. It became an entertainment value with sense of humor and picking out, just like you said, picking out stuff that you're almost like, you're not going to believe what's going to happen here. <laughs> it's just like uh, I, I think there's something very unique about that British military sense of humor as well that people do. Oh yeah, amusing. And some of the expressions that that I learned in the military that civilians find hilarious. Absolutely. Like, you know, like window licking. <laughs> Surprise butt sex. <laughs> yeah. yeah, window lickers. And then there used to be people that would send. I remember a photo that you posted, and I, I told you I've watched for a while, where somebody's, they're a fan of yours and their child was licking the window or something. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. That, it's it's a while ago. And I'm like, the, the guy's got people's kids licking windows and sending them to him. It's, yeah. he's, it, it, it just became, you became something that people just wanted to, it's almost like they were, they wanted to interact with your community yeah. to have a good time to just kick back and not just be, you know, some guys are so intense in the game that you, they can't focus on anything else, but they can just kick back and watch it and listen. It was, it was a, both a, an audio and visual entertaining show. Yeah. And that was just, to me, I, I was one of the things that when I picked that out, I'm like, this is what's different about this. This this is the difference. It's both audio and visually. It's it's hitting you from all sides, and it's a good good time. And and it's like that. It's that English sense of humor and those good stuff that you say. And you know, you make yourself laugh sometimes when you say. <laughs> and, and it's, I can't believe I'm I'm able to do this. It's like it's like halfway through every time I record a video, I'm thinking I'm actually getting paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's, you don't script anything, correct? No. No, I don't script a thing. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people do. They sit down and they write a script. And you know, if that's what works for them, great. But I just improvise the whole thing, even to this day. I, I don't have any staff. I do the whole thing myself. I couldn't afford to hire any staff. I've got a mortgage to pay now. Uh, so, yeah, I do the whole thing myself. 
Well, the only thing I don't do is actually play the battle because it's usually somebody else's replay file. But I, you know, record the video, edit the video, do the commentary, do it all myself. And there's you no watch, script. Do you watch? I just are you watch right on the fly and you just start going? Oh no, I watch the battle first. Okay. Um, because I have to watch the whole battle first to figure out whether or not it's actually worth putting into a video. Okay. So I record the whole thing. Uh, while I'm watching it, sometimes I'm halfway through and I'm like, yeah, boring. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what happens in the last nine minutes, but 11 minutes in and he's only done 30,000 damage. Nobody's going to be watching the, uh, the right. far. Nothing's happened. So sorry, delete the video file, try another one. Um, but yeah, I, rec I record the battle. If it's an interesting battle and I think, yeah, I can make something out of this, the video gets saved. And then the next day, the next week, I'll put a commentary on it. Uh, so I have a collection of saved videos. Okay. Usually don't have more than half a dozen at a time because I tend to, you know, I'm constantly, okay, yeah, I'll use this one now. Or or I think I'm going to use that one tomorrow. And then I, the next day I watch another video. I'm like, no, no, this is the one. <laughs> um, I'll, for example, I mean, I don't know when this is going to go live, but um, as we're recording this, tomorrow's video is going to be World of Tanks. And there's a guy in an ELC, even 90, who has a fantastic game on the steps match. But I spend most of the battle talking about this weird ass <laughs> off center turret, off center gun in an off center turret tank that looks like some vodka fueled wargaming developer's fever dream. <laughs> but it did actually exist. They okay. built a prototype, they built 11 pre production tanks. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Look at it. Why is it? So, yeah. And I go into the history of, of that tank and why they designed it the way they did and, and why they eventually ended up cancelling it. Um, more of the stuff that you like. It's, it's a much more history-focused video, um, right. which I think we're doing, and people really do seem to appreciate it because uh, you're right. It's one of the things that kind of set me apart from the rest of the crowd. Oh, when it, 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 that, even if it's, or if it's commentary, like you'll see the commentary go and you're like, okay, hang on, he's going to say this. And then he's going to say, it's just, it, it, it's, it's not just about that focal point. Like a lot of people want to see like the best players playing, but it's, it's about other things that are happening in the game. You might pick out that you're like, here's what's going on over here. And you know, this guy and there are things that I miss as well. I mean, I did a video the other day where there's a guy in a USS Omaha who basically loses all of his health in the first four minutes of the battle and then appears to activate the somebody else's problem field generator because everybody ignores him for the rest of the game. Like, what? Why is nobody... I don't care. I'll take advantage of it. Um, and I missed the fact that he was running a lighthouse build in that battle, so he couldn't go undetected because his surface detection range was 15 kilometers, and he was constantly at the front. So I missed that completely, but that's what happens when you have 650,000 subscribers. Right. Somebody's going to notice it, and mm -hmm. they're going to pick you up on it. So I've got my audience to keep me honest, and, and they spot the things that I miss. And me missing things has now become a meme and of itself. <laughs> People are now watching, and have been for years now, watching videos just to see what I get wrong. Right. And and sometimes, hopefully, I mean, of course, you do have some trolls, but and sometimes it's in a funny way, right? And yeah. that, it's Because that, that's, that's what you you project, you project a good sense of humor with it and having a good time with it. I mean, one of the things that I really liked um, was one of my favorite was, well, one was always the, the trials and tribulations of the talk, any talk video, right? <laughs> Nobody knows this tank video. It is a, a huge tank. That is the slowest moving thing I've ever seen on the field. Like it, it's, at just, two it's just a big box of hit points with a 17 pounder gun. That's, that's correct. It. 
Correct. And the wheels are square. Or the tracks are square. No, no, no. But it's so slow. It's just like on two speed, you still think you're on one and, it, and you're watching this thing. So it's always funny watching, you know, and of course you, you quickie baby. And who was the other Mike. one? Mike. Yeah. You guys, just, uh, three crew of nothing but togs, which yeah. was, I'm like, brilliant. Glorious. Um, yeah. And of course the, um, the good, the bad and the ugly. And, and that, those theme type of things that you did, like, is that something that you, you just kind of said, you know what I wanted to do? Or were those suggestions or how did those kind of come out? Um, no, no, I, I can't remember the exact inspiration. I mean, I'm aware that there were people that did kind of fast cut videos on YouTube of gaming where they would be like, there was just be this TV show in the UK called the far show. And the whole idea, it was a comedy show. And the whole idea was very basically on catchphrase off next sketch on catchphrase off and it was just quick very fast comedy sketches mm -hmm. and there were a lot of videos on well not a lot but there were some videos on youtube that were like that with gaming where it would just be a, a, like a 10 second clip of something funny in a game and then a burst of static and then another clip and so on and so on and i thought i could do something like that in world of tanks because often i would see like the battle itself was kind of shit Mm -hmm. But there'd be that one moment right. that you couldn't make an entire video out of it, but you could make a 10-second clip. Mm -hmm. But then you need a lot of 10-second clips. Right. So we're talking like 20, 30 battles, which is a lot of watching replays, and right. it's a lot of recording, and it's a lot of editing. And then, of course, you've got the copyright issues with the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. um, which you used to be able to get away with, putting ACDC in your YouTube videos, and not anymore. Yeah, um, and I have access now to, uh, there's a very, very good royalty-free sound library called Epidemic Sound, um, mm -hmm. which is excellent. But it's not the same as recognizable tunes. Right. Like I used to do in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and Why You Have To Be Mad. Oh, where somebody would try to help out a teammate and just end up screwing it up and making it worse. And you'd hear, you got a friend in me. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. Perfect tune. But you can't do it anymore. So. Right. And th those videos are a lot of work. No, I, mean, I, see, I see other people doing that sort of thing, and I appreciate just how many hours it took them to do that. I'm not saying I'm never going to do anything like that again. But it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You mentioning that song and me talking to you, I, the first thing that pops up in my hand is when a tank's upside down and the other somebody's trying to help him flip over. Yeah, and he flips himself over doing it. Yeah. <laughs> now they're both sitting there going, well, thanks. Yeah, with one of those songs playing and, and stuff yeah. like that. But no, and, and then, I mean, that's your forte or what, what I consider your forte, but you do other games. Like right now you're doing, well, you're doing Stray, um, which is about the cat. But I remember you doing um, some scary games. And you had the camera on you. <laughs> yeah, not very good at scary games. <laughs> yeah, and um, and and that was even entertaining because you know, uh, you know, watching uh, Jingles uh, uh, allegedly scream like a girl. No, just kidding. Um, basically, was <laughs> not, there's nothing alleged about it. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it. If you say it, you can say it. But I think that was a different aspect of people that were starting. You were starting to uh, to be more about you. You being on camera, watching you play the game um yeah. was not how did how did those go was that something you just said you know what i want to do i want to put myself in the dark room and play a video i mean well i remember the very first time i did a face review i mean i don't know if you've ever watched um oh what's his name 
Australian guy, um, Aussie, um, somebody's going to, I can't remember, uh, okay. but he does a lot of reaction videos um, mm -hmm. to stupid stuff. And every time he pops up uh, on camera, he says, G'day, here's me face. And, but, <laughs> which I thought was, that's really funny, actually. <laughs> because, you know, here's me face. That's exactly what it is. And the very first time I ever did anything to camera, uh, I think it was in a World of Tanks video, where I basically just did that. <laughs> and there are pictures of that now. That actually became a short-lived meme. Um, but there were certain things that would, like, I don't want my face all over a World of Tanks video or World of Warships video. Right. Um, even as a window in the corner, because it's going to take away part of the UI that you need to look at. And it's not about me. It's about the guy playing and what he's mm -hmm. doing or what stupid things his team or his opponents are doing. But something like Alien Isolation, for example, mm -hmm. demands a face cap <laughs> so you can see the live reaction of the poor bastard playing. <laughs> Right. Especially if that poor bastard is me. Because <laughs> when Alien came out in 1979, I had a I was in primary school, I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And I had an my, my my primary school teacher was called Miss Thornton. And she went to see Alien in the cinema. And the next day, in primary school, to a class of nine-year-olds, we didn't get an English lesson that day. She was just telling us what happened in this movie that she'd seen the night before. <laughs> and I thought, wow. But obviously, I'm nine years old. I can't watch it. But the day before we emigrated to South Africa in 1982, when I was 12, mm -hmm. Alien got its UK TV premiere. And mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to stay up and watch it. 12 years old, watching <laughs> Alien for the first time. Let me just say, that movie made quite an impression on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I was 16 and I got to go to the cinema to see Aliens, even though I was two years underage because I had an 18 certificate, I believe R-rated in America. Right. Um, and wow. <laughs> but then when Alien Isolation came out and your first person, it because I knew the law, I knew the, the you know, I, the, I was a massive. When, when Aliens came out on VHS tape, I stopped counting how many times I've watched that movie at 86. Uh, I wore the tape out watching that movie over and over and over. Massive fan of Alien and Aliens. Mm -hmm. Not just the rest of the movies. Right. The new ones. But those first two movies, wow. And then to actually be in mm -hmm. that, that universe in first person with an alien stalking you, remembering that when I was 12 years old, I had nightmares for months. <laughs> After seeing that movie, I think the idea of me ever completing that game was hopelessly optimistic. But I think what made the video series, even though it was only about six or seven videos long before I was like, nope, I'm out. Right. Was my reaction because yeah. it was, I saw a lot of other people playing Alien Isolation and um, they were, they were, um, how can I put this? I call it the Markiplier effect where yeah. you're faking the reaction. Right. You're not scared, but you're shouting and screaming and making a lot of noise because that's mm -hmm. what people do in reaction videos. Right. But with me, it was a hundred percent genuine. Yes, it definitely. And I think people could tell. Yes, we could tell. And I'm like, man, if we only had a heartbeat monitor on him right now, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Because uh, no, it, it absolutely was. And and that again, that that's more of you. You are you. 
You know what I mean? It's just who you are. You're not gonna, you know, it's and I that was another one that I'm like, is he really gonna do this? I don't see him as a scary game. Okay, we're gonna watch. And I remember watching, and then you're everyone, you're like, okay, I don't know if I can do another one. And then you, you don't you do that one more until you're finally like, okay, that's it, I've had enough. Yeah, uh, and the actual alien came out and was like, Nope, I'm done. <laughs> I tried though, I did try to go back because I originally recorded it at night in the dark with headphones on. It's the worst. Worst possible way to do it. So I thought maybe I take the headphones off. I do it in the middle of the afternoon, sunlight coming in through the windows. So I loaded up the save and I was like, right, I can do this. And the alien came out and I went, nope. I can't do it. Can't do it. No, <laughs> I tried. Yes, I remember watching that. And and the, one of the other things too, um, and, and then uh, uh, howdy, folks. Howdy folks became something that if you stop doing that, they yeah. you, like, right? who are you? What have you done with the real jingles? How, yeah. That was another one. Was that just something you just said? Yeah. I just, I how do I start this video? And I'll just, uh, hello. No, that's shit. Um, <laughs> greetings. No, that's terrible. And, and for some reason it just seemed to work. And it's, you know, if I don't start a video with howdy folks, people are like, who are you? What are you done with the real jingles? We demand a refund. <laughs> It's just the way things are. Sometimes you, you don't get to choose these things. You just got to roll with it. Right. Because I thought that was one. Because I remember you saying that you didn't start one. And then the next video, you must have got like a zillion comments. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. hey, I apologize. That'll never happen again. Howdy, folks. <laughs> and yeah. you, you did that. So where do you kind of see your channel going? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things, too, that, like I said, it, YouTube isn't a monstrous paying gig at some point. And, and revenues have, you know, have gone down. And, of course, that people have, like you've talked about a couple of your videos, ad blockers and all this other stuff. Um, where do you kind of – do you see yourself sticking with it still? Or, or where do you kind of see yourself going with it? Well, at least until I've paid off my mortgage, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah. – I can't afford to not do it. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, we suckered them in by getting them to buy a house. So we've got them yeah. for more years. Um, but yeah, half of all of this is mine. <laughs> right. The other half belongs to the bank. Right. So, uh, but but it, I think it's. Do you? I mean, sticking with the uh, the games that you're covering. I mean, are you looking for to do different? Well, that's the thing, because I mean, I mean, I think I can't. Again, I kind of lucked out in covering games like World of Tanks and World of Warships, because World of Warships is seven years old now, and I think World of Tanks is twelve years old, and you know. Who would expect a multiplayer online game to still be going 12 years later? Right. Um, but there's a definite... I mean, I, I'm not going to predict when these games are going to die. Mm -hmm. But they're going to die. Right. And then what do you do? Because the, you know, and, and you can never predict when a YouTube channel is just going to stop being popular. Because right. you look at people... I mean, there were people that I used to watch on YouTube eight years ago. Gone. Mm -hmm. Don't know where they went. Millions of subscribers. Gone, right. disappeared overnight. Yeah, stuff can happen. So I'm lucky in that I do still have my navy pension because mm -hmm. I was again, like I say, I mean, my entire life is just one long big story of right place, right time. Because when I joined the navy in 1989, uh, the navy pension scheme was called AFPS 75, Armed Forces Pension Scheme 1975, and it is the best pension scheme in the world because it's non-contributory, I didn't have to pay a penny into it. Mm. And it pays out instantly after 22 years when you retire. 
and then gets indexed linked and goes up once you hit state retirement age, which is 65. So I, I'm basically getting free money every month after I retired from the Navy. Not a lot, but it is just about enough to survive on. It's not enough to survive on and pay a mortgage off, but it's a start. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, that that pension scheme changed, of course, because they realized, wow, this is way <laughs> too good. We have to, yeah, we'll get everybody off that. But I left in the window mm-hmm. where it was still up and you couldn't be forced to move to the new pension scheme. <laughs> so <laughs> I kept the old one, which was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll keep doing it for as long as they'll have me, basically, because I enjoy doing it. I mean, it's 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 great. I can't believe people call this work. Right. <laughs> I used to work for a living. I know what actual work is. Right? This isn't it. <laughs> this is fun. Um, and I do enjoy doing it. And I hope that comes through as well. Because, I, I, again, I mean, people aren't stupid. They can tell when somebody's faking enthusiasm. Right. And I do I do love doing this. It's something that I was doing as a hobby anyway before I started doing it as a living. Uh, and that can be a problem sometimes because I know people, um, I grew up with people and went to school with people who love playing computer games and then they got a job as a games developer and then they it ruined computer games for them because mm-hmm. they, they'd seen behind the curtain. They knew, well, this is, this is terrible. They'd taken a shortcut here. This is just, oh, no. They could see all of the faults in all of the games that they were playing and it ruined games for them. And I've been lucky that this hasn't ruined games for me. Right. Uh, and I do still enjoy doing it. And I'll keep doing it for as long as they'll have me because I've got to, got to pay this off. <laughs> right. But I like doing it anyway. And even if I didn't have to pay all of this off, I'd probably still be doing it. But how long is it going to be successful for? It's impossible to say. I'll keep doing it for as long as they have me. Um, and you also have another channel. You have um, you have the – Oh, yes. Home with the Gnome. Ah, it's Yes, technically I do have another channel, but I hardly ever put anything on it. Although, you know, now I've got the place the way I want it, I can start recording uh, more cooking videos, and um, I'm just kind of stuck for what to actually cook next. I'll have to have a look at my Binging with Babish books for some inspiration, or maybe uh, Treo's Tacos, Daddy Treo's uh, taco book that I got, which is a great book, by the way. It's not just all kinds of Mexican and Hispanic recipes. It's also, he talks about his life growing up in L.A., and going to jail and all that kind of thing. He's a really, really interesting guy. Really? Yeah. Mm. I, I didn't know that book covered. I thought it would just be the cooking stuff. Yeah, he covers all kinds of stuff. Talks about his uncle Gilbert, um, who is the guy that basically got him in trouble with the law. Um, <laughs> and he was constantly getting mistaken for when he was in prison the first <laughs> the first few times. Uh, no, 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 that's my uncle. Oh, all right, I served time with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great guy. Yeah. <laughs> Now, is there? I mean, most of the games. Is there other genres type games that you're you're kind of also looking to dive into? Um, I think that yeah, I mean, like I was saying, World of Tanks been around twelve years. World of Warships been around seven years. If you know, if the if the game doesn't die, great. Because I I, I have a love hate relationship with the games. I, I kind of love the games, hate the developers. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's true. You know, that's not that's not. It's not any particular problem with wargaming.net. Once any publisher developer gets popular enough, right. it's all about the money and not about the game anymore. That's that's just the nature of business. That's yeah. fine. Um, but I do, I mean, I like, that's the bizarre thing though, because I never used to like multiplayer games um, because I was just bad at them. So like Counter-Strike, before it was Counter-Strike Global Offensive, you know, I was I loved playing it, but I was terrible. Um, and World of Tanks, I was 
actually I actually found out I was enjoying it because it's it's like an FPS but for old people because <laughs> you've got more time to react right um, and even more time to react in World of Warships so they, they were the, the, some of the few multiplayer games that I did actually enjoy playing but there's other stuff I mean I love the turn-based tactical games like mm -hmm. XCOM XCOM 2 which yep. I still think is one of the greatest games ever made on every level but the, the tactics, the music, the graphics, the plot, the voice acting, the mm. everything about it was amazing. I'm really getting into Chaos Gate Demon Hunters, the Warhammer 40,000 game. Yeah. Um, which obviously has got the whole Warhammer 40,000 thing to sucker people in. Um, <laughs> right. But I'm finding in the comments of these videos that I'm doing that even people who have no interest in Warhammer 40,000 are getting into the game because it's a really good game and are getting into Warhammer 40,000 as a result of playing this game and the other way around people who were into Warhammer 40,000 but have never played a never played a turn-based tactical game in their lives mm -hmm. had no interest in XCOM 2 are getting into turn-based tactical games because Warhammer 40,000 Chaos Gate Demon Hunters well that was me with you with so um SOCOM, I was not a turn-paced player I'm a first-person shooter stuff not a turn-paced and I'm like you know I'm watching you play this and I'm like oh, I'm going to go ahead and get it got it and and, and I I got the game watching you yeah. play that. And it's much. just got that just one more go thing about it. Right. So like, let me just let me just advance time, just a few more days, just to get that research done. Uh oh, the mission's popped up. Well, I'll play this mission, just this one mission. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's 4 a.m. Right. And you're like, I don't think I've eaten anything. Yeah, yeah. Scarier, I don't even think I've gone to the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, that's the type of situation that, you know, those games put you in when you do that. You're right. And it's, it, but this is kind of where, and this is another thing too. It's like it, you've allowed, you've, you've chased that dream of playing games, doing that Navy and accomplish this stuff. One, putting in a lot of hard work. Let's be honest. It, it yeah. reading and the study and the stuff that you've done has put you in a position to be able to yeah. do what you did now with a little bit of, you know, karma, luck, whatever you want to call it. But without that incentive of pushing yourself to be, you know, motivated to, to knowledgeable and things like that, I never had a business plan or anything. It was just right, just my upbringing, my interests. It was like this perfect, and the timing, of course, and the particular games that I was playing when I was playing them was just that perfect storm of factors that right place, right time. I almost had very little to do with it, but it was just upbringing, interests, experience timing all came together and well you know here i am right and then you also do uh the board games now too you're going to be do you're you're doing yeah, sunday yeah. sundays you're yeah. doing board games. sometimes on sunday sometimes i sneak in a stray video on a sunday because I'm, I'm i say video every day and sunday was my well sunday isn't my day off sunday's the day when there's no video which means saturday's my day off but right. now i'm kind of not even getting saturday off anymore either right, right. because the board get, i mean where else am i going to put it because i've got like Monday's Moves with Jingles, Tuesday World of Warships, Wednesday, whatever other game I'm playing. At the moment, Chaos Gate Demon Hunters, Thursday World of Tanks, Friday World of Warships, uh, Saturday, whatever other game I'm playing. Right. So where am I going to put a board game? Where am I going to put Stray? Well, I'm not doing anything on Sundays. Poof. I am now. <laughs> so, luckily, I enjoy doing it. So. Right, and and that shows, and that's a big deal, and and it, it shows that with you know putting in the work and and doing something that other people weren't doing a video every day and really driving toward it, it 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 allowed you to create something and do what you have fun doing, and yeah. that, 
but it, like I said, it is putting in that work and driving. So I know I, I had an, uh, an hour with you. I don't want to tie you up too much and be blamed for not getting any video out because your, your fans will rip me apart. Um, but I do want to think you come out. And so my only last question is, would you have changed anything? You know what? No, I don't think so. Because, I mean, I've talked about, you know, my, my, my life experiences, my interests, the games that I was playing when I was playing them. Um, right place, right time. But I don't actually 100% know for sure what I did that may or may not have been the most important factor. Because right. I did kind of look into the whole thing. And looking back, I don't really think I have any major regrets. And if I was to change something, it could be the wrong thing. <laughs> Maybe that was the thing that was the secret to it all, but I just don't know it. And if I change it, it might ruin it. So no regrets. No. Um, life's too short to have regrets. I mean, by all means, Maybe as long as you learn from your mistakes, right. right, and you don't repeat them. Otherwise, what's the point? So you know, no regrets. Life's too short. Just everything's an experience. Learn from the experience, adapt, improvise, move on, and uh, and just enjoy your life. Absolutely. And and that being said, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, this is the mighty jingles. There'll be all kinds of I'll put it on my community page and it'll be in my comment section links. If you just want to kick back and listen to him uh, while he, you know, basically commentates uh, the games, it's it's a, that's how it starts with with me. And, and next thing you know, you're buying all these games and I have to blame him for my credit card debt. Uh, but besides that, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Thanks for having me. As always, uh, stay safe. Sage out.